Coming up, theology, psychology, and the strange shadowed faces of hope. We're getting deep on a more serious than usual episode of Kiss the Goat. I'm Cootie, and this is Kiss, Kiss the, the Goat. Goat. You know, we play things mostly for laughs on this show. It's a lot of fun. We joke around and we mock all the tropes and archetypes surrounding devil movies. And we watch a lot of trash. We really do. We watch B-movies and low-budget weird things that don't necessarily have a large audience. Really, the devil movie is a pretty specific niche. They aren't really flicks you sit down with the entire family to watch. Well, I mean, this family does. Well, true. So when we sit down and we watch a movie that deals with the subject in a serious, non-exploitative fashion, it makes us think. And thinking hurts. It doesn't happen often. So usually we're down to make fun of anything that drifts through our transom, but this episode's movie does not lend itself well to mockery or even gentle teasing. So when we tell you this is a relatively serious episode, we mean it. We do hope you stick around and enjoy it, though. And as always, we'll welcome your comments on the show at all the usual places, which we will list in excruciating detail at the end of the episode. So we're going to take a deep breath, make a stiff drink, and go to our first break before we discuss this episode's feature film, Scott Derrickson's movie from 2005, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Back in a bit. Hi, I'm Mark. And you know what? I'm Mike. And we're the host of the Hollywood Upside Down podcast. We are the only podcast that looks at the films of Fred Olin Ray and Jim Wynorski exclusively on a year-by-year basis. Every episode, we present the news surrounding the world of these two legendary filmmakers. And we also try to speak with the many people involved with the films we discuss. Speaking of films, we generally talk about three to four films per episode by reviewing and rating them. If you want to find out what those films are, visit our website at hollywoodupsidedown.wordpress. You can download our show via iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, by searching for Hollywood Upside Down. So if you're a fan of B-movies and you know you are, you wouldn't be listening to us. Chances are you've seen some of the films of Fred Olin Ray and Jim Wynorski. So why don't you join us from episode to episode and relive some of those favorite movie moments. The moments you'll hear on the Hollywood Upside Down podcast. Honestly, the real reason we watch these films is we love watching boobs. We sure do. Lots of large, small, flappy, flapjacky. No, Mike. No, no, no. Very well-endowed, boisterous, giant, jiggly boobs. Those two. Yes. Howdy, folks. Got blood, violence, freaks of nature. You come to the right place. My name is Gary, and I'm your guide to Cinnamon Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! All right, calm down, calm down. 
Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please venture frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. We're back and let us tread lightly and begin wading into the depths of the exorcism of Emily Rose. Now, one of the first interesting things about this movie is that as the movie opens, we already know how the exorcism turned out. Not well. Not at all. Emily Rose didn't make it. She's dead. This is not a spoiler, by the way. (sighs) This is the first fucking thing that happens. The movie starts with the priest who performed the exorcism, Father Moore, played by Tom Wilkinson, being taken to jail. He is in big trouble. And the archdiocese wants to avoid a whole lot of publicity. You know, exorcism is a pretty dicey thing. So they quietly hire a lawyer, Aaron Bruner, who is played by Laura Linney, to defend him. Now, the church doesn't want Father Moore to testify. They are afraid it's going to embarrass them. But Father Moore won't let Gruner represent him unless he is allowed to get on the stand and tell Emily's story. He's not real forthcoming with information to his lawyer, uh, but he feels sure that if he can relay Emily's story, that's what he is, air quotes, supposed to do. Right. Aaron Bruner is an agnostic. Prosecuting furthermore is Ethan Thomas. He's the assistant DA and is a Methodist, very terse guy, uh, not much of a sense of humor, and his entire case rests on Emily being physically and psychologically incapable of taking care of herself. She was obviously sick. Her family trusted Father Moore, who took her off her meds, and then persuaded her to undergo this ritual of exorcism. And that this course of action is what directly caused her death. We get our first flashback at this point, which is Emily getting her college acceptance letter. It's a full scholarship to university, and she's overjoyed. Now, the Rose household is poor. You know, it's made very clear that these people are, if not poverty-stricken, they are poor. Um, All the girls are wearing long skirts, which is kind of a universal sign of, of... of intense religious belief, no makeup, plain people, you know, not Amish plain, but still very strict Catholic. And honestly, this is what brings me to my first question. (laughs) I have a few, um, but this is the first one. This new wave of possession and exorcism films, which arguably began with Emily Rose back in 2005, usually depict the person who was possessed as being someone who is deeply religious. Now, I struggle to see how this makes sense. And it doesn't even have, it just doesn't have to stay within the context of, of this film. I mean, think about how alleged uh, possession and witchery spread through the village of Salem. Think about historical accounts of entire convents of nuns 
becoming possessed and just going stark raving mad. But I, if one truly believes, how could they become possessed? I mean, if you play it out, it would have to be because God allowed it. And if that's the case, God is kind of a dick. That's how you're starting this, with God is a dick? I think the argument for that point of view within this context can definitely be made. <clears throat> okay. I mean, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so why, if there is a God, would he allow the faithful and the righteous to be possessed by demons, right? Right. How does that <clears throat> glorify him in any way? Well, I think it would make less sense for demons to bother about possessing non-believers, you know? I mean, if we're to believe the Judeo-Christian concept of the war between good and evil, then the devil already has the non-believer. There's no sense bothering about them. But torturing those who are already devout would surely be, you know, a vexation to God. And as you've already pointed out, though, why would an all-powerful, omnipotent deity allow his followers to be subject to torture and agony? It's just, it's the same age-old question. If God can do something about the suffering in the world, why doesn't he? Because he's a dick. Because he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> because. <I can't... laughs> Go ahead. I can't argue that point, really. <laughs> Because I understand where you're coming from, where, you know, the devil doesn't need to fuck with anybody who's already on his side. Okay, right. I, I get that. But when demons possess one of the faithful, to me it kind of looks like somebody lost control for a little minute, kind of like a bad babysitter. Like, God went off to get coffee, and when he came back, Satan had not only let the dog in, and there are fucking footprints all over the floor, or paw prints, but... <laughs> You know, he'd also snatched up one of his precious little sheep. So, so much for omniscience. So he was looking the other direction and Satan. Yeah, do, 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 do. Oh, no, where's Ricky? Oh, shit, Satan's got him. Well, maybe he dozed <laughs> off on the couch. Right? <laughs> Something. <laughs> no, that's me. That's I'm it. the one that dozes <laughs> off on the couch. <laughs> was this Phantasm 4? Great. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Okay, so... So I guess really we're trying to argue a point that cannot be proven one way or another. And that we pretty much both agree on. Yeah. Yep. In this movie, Emily's God is a dick. Uh, it's a good place to take a break, don't you think? I think so. I think we should absolutely take a break there. We'll be right back with a more <laughs> deep metaphysical conversation right here on Kiss the Goat. Woohoo! Do you like movies? Do you like beards? Do you bathe in raw meat? Do you dance under the fiery sky of Ra, daisies threaded through your man chest mane? Foolish question. Yes, we all do. But do you do it listening to the podcast from the After Movie Diner? If not, then you're missing out, and you may or may not spend eternity in insufferable torment wedged between Simon Cowell and Piers Morgan in an elevator that smells of death. The After Movie Diner is a website dedicated to movies. New, old, large, small, and of every genre. There are written reviews, interviews with the famous and interesting, and a weekly podcast with comedy, reviews, interviews, a variety of fascinating and flatulent co-hosts, and music to tap your toe to. So why aren't you on board? Get there or miss out on the podcasting sensation of a generation, one that feels like being slightly tongued by an over-enthusiastic cocker spaniel. 
find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and over at AfterMovieDiner.com. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. Mathematics of murder and menace. The BBNBC podcast discusses lesser known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC Podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. And we're back on Kiss the Goat talking about the exorcism of Emily Rose, although at this point in the discussion, we have to talk about the possession of Emily Rose. Um, The film really wants to make the point that Emily was actually possessed by six demons, that it's a true thing. It really happened. The film makes a strong case for authentic demonic possession in Emily's case, but I don't think I buy it. Yeah? Yeah, I... I'm pretty much good with the she was a sick little girl. Um, mm-hmm. I think the actual possession of Emily Rose is the weakest part of the film. I guess that quick shot of Emily eating dead bugs off the floor uh, was probably the weirdest glimpse into the depth of her possession. But when they're in the courtroom and they're actually having the trial of the negligent homicide trial for Emily's death. Uh, the defense points out that she had already been exposed to different languages through her advanced catechism classes. Mm-hmm. So she'd already heard German. She'd already heard Latin. She'd already heard Aramaic. So you can't really say that while she was possessed and, and yelling at people and you know different languages, you can't really say that she was speaking in an unknown tongue. Tell me your name, wicked one. Long swords and got a quick effects. He who commands you is he who orders you thrown down from the highest heaven into the depths of hell. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I now command you. Tell me your name. I fight you to sick. Hear, therefore, and fear, Satan, enemy of the faith. Give me your name, demon. Ancient serpents, depart from this servant of God. Tell me your six names. We are the ones who dwell within. I am 
Lucifer, the devil in the flesh. She knew of it. She may not have grasped it fully, but she knew, you know, accents right. and diphthongs and hard vowels, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what was she studying at university? I don't think we're ever told. No. But I get the real strong impression that it's education. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, don't you? <clears throat> yeah, well. I mean, she says it's like her dream and, you know, her mom was like, you're going you're gonna to make your dream come true, Emily Rose, blah, blah, blah. But I, so I get the impression that Emily Rose wants to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. That's fine. If you're at university and you're studying to be a teacher, odds are you are getting a liberal arts education. That's the kind of program that you're in. And that's going to expose you to a lot of different cultures and therefore a lot of different languages. Mm-hmm. So I'm not buying the whole, oh, shit, she suddenly spoke Latin and she'd never heard a lick of it in her life. Well, not true. Right. Well, and I agree with you on those points. And I don't think that I don't think that I would have bought it by and large just by hearing the story of what happened to Emily Rose. But the movie goes through great lengths to try to make us believe that there are evil forces at work and that Emily is actually possessed. Like Aaron, an agnostic, has experiences in her apartment at 3 a.m., you know, and this parallels Emily's experience and Father's Moore's experiences. Um, she wakes up smelling something burning. Uh, she sees a shadowy figure in her apartment and her front door swings wide open. She's hearing noises, etc., she says it's cold outside. She hands me a raincoat. <laughs> Shut it. <laughs> you know, and Father Moore sees a hooded figure, which we, the audience, are allowed to see. And this figure follows him around after the exorcism. And then you've got Dr. Cartwright, who attended the exorcism. He saw the same figure, ran away from it into freaking traffic and was killed. Yeah, how so, fucking omen was that, <laughs> by the way? Yeah, very. <laughs> So the movie shows us all of these scary things to drive that point home that Emily was possessed and that there are evil forces working to stop her story from being told. So I, again, if I had just heard the story and somebody said, oh, well, this is Emily's story, I'd been like, oh, fuck that poor girl. She needed psychiatric help. But the movie went a different direction to draw us in. You're right. The movie did go a different direction to draw us in. And again, I'm not so sure, for me anyway, it it really didn't work. Because what it used to draw us in was, well, shit, if we're going to name the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose, I guess we better show some kind of exorcism sort of stuff. (laughs) So, you know, let's make her eyes get black and let's make her, you know jump up and down on her knees in a really strange, fast way, and we'll mm-hmm. make all this other weird shit happen. So it seems... So we have something to put in the trailer. Right. Because when it comes down to it, this is a courtroom drama. 90% of this movie takes place either in a courtroom or in Father Moore's jail cell. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a whole lot of scenes where they are actively fighting the Dark Prince... And trying right. to cast him out of this poor girl. 
Right. Well, yeah, exactly. The the movie does off also, if I can talk, it also offers a lot of evidence to the contrary of, of what I was saying earlier about her actually being possessed. Because you've got Emily's father testifying on stand that his aunt was in a mental hospital. So it's established that there was a history of mental illness in her family. They got presents. Um, exactly. Emily's childhood caregiver testifies that Emily was sickly as a child and that she often stayed indoors rather than going out and playing with the other kids. So we've got a history of her having poor health, you know, um, and Which then probably also a history of her writing really bad poetry. Oh, I'm sure of it. <laughs> Cause you know, that's what you do. That's right. So, and then Emily leaves her small hometown to go to this large university, which is a culture shock all on its own. But Emily's first demonic experience happened after she went to a dance with a man. And she knew that her mother would not approve. So she felt guilty and she was afraid, which are huge emotional and psychological triggers. I have a story. Oh, goody. I do. I have a story. Um... Since we're going to go ahead and get into this section of the conversation, I have a confession to make. <clears throat> so uh, brace yourselves, acolytes, because this is the truth. Dum, I, dum, dum. I went to Bible college for a year. Literally one of the worst fucking times in my entire life. I was miserable. I've had some low points, like we all have. That was one of the lowest. I was suicidally depressed, and the year ended with me just not going to classes. But for the first few months, I was okay. I I was functional. Okay. There was this girl who went to college with us, and she was sweet. She may have been a little touched. Um, we had a bulletin board up that had all kinds of of volunteer opportunities. Because, you know, people always are looking for uh, fine, poor Christian youth to come and, you know, babysit their kids or maybe run some kind of evening youth service at a rural church, something like that. So anyway, this girl I was talking about, we had chapel every morning because, of course, we would. It's a Bible college. Why not? Right. She came into chapel one morning, and she sang. But she sang like five hymns in a row. All of them. (laughs) I don't mean like first, second, and last verse. I meant like the whole (laughs) fucking hymn. And she sang them a cappella, and she sang them from memory. And it got to the point where she was having a hard time breathing, and she was like on the verge of tears, and it was just was gloriously uncomfortable to watch mm-hmm. so finally she finished and we all you know yay we gave her the gallery clap because hooray you, you just sang in church well a week later she was gone 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 she split oh she was no longer not she didn't die no oh, okay. she was, yeah <laughs> let me clarify woman did not die um <laughs> but she did leave school and the reason she split was because, well, they made her leave. Administration made her leave. She felt like she had to do everything on that bulletin board. Every volunteer opportunity, she felt like it was all 
for her. Like if she oh, didn't, yeah. like if she didn't do all those things, then she was not serving God properly. And it literally drove her to the brink of exhaustion and I'm assuming just madness. Because when you grow up in a conservative Christian family, which my parents were not, my grandmother was, so, you know, I haven't had that kind of extreme experience, but a lot of people who went to this school did. Very overbearing family, very strict with their family values, again, air quotes from me. Mm -hmm. You let those people loose away from their parents and the influence of their home church, and... They either freak the fuck out because they're gone and they lose their mind because they're thinking their own thoughts and they have guilt and self-induced suffering because of that, or you fuck and you drink and you smoke and you swear and you basically do everything you can to lose your salvation. Mm -hmm. The stereotype of the preacher's daughter exists for a reason, kids. Right. You know, <laughs> So I can easily see how Emily Rose out of her house at presumably a secular university with someone that resembles a boyfriend type person could have been so conflicted and guilt-stricken by actually living her own life that her subconscious created the possession scenario as a way to explain to herself the sinful life that she was now living in the big city, away from her parents. She literally worried herself sick, and we've all done that. It's a form of dissociative behavior. But, you know, I couldn't be possibly be having these doubts or thinking right. these thoughts. I couldn't possibly be wanting to fuck this boy. There must be something inside me that is forcing me to do these things. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing the correct thing, like blaming hormones or maturity, <laughs> you blame the devil. Wow. Sorry, my story kind of got... <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> so, after the possession, of course, comes the exorcism. And this particular ritual can be brutal, sometimes lasting weeks on end. It's physically, emotionally, and spiritually demanding. The real question is, does it help? You know what? I just, I just hogged up the last fucking five minutes of this... <laughs> Of the show. Okay, my turn. Yeah, your turn. <laughs> well, the Catholic Church's practice of exorcism is pretty well known. It is almost exclusively the go-to for demon possession movies. But there are other traditions, both within and without the Christian umbrella, that have practices and rituals geared toward casting out demons. Now, I've already talked about my Pentecostal upbringing on this show, so it should be no surprise that I have a story to tell related to this. Yay, story! <laughs> uh, this was actually a pretty pivotal point for me in my own faith when I was growing up. Uh, I was a member of a girls group in my church. It was similar to Boy Scouts. It was called the Missionettes. <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead and shudder. It's okay. Um, they sang these... backup for Elvis, didn't they? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but we had these uniforms uh, that included, had a below the knee, very modest length skirt, and a matching sash in this hideous blue-green color. I mean, it wasn't even teal. It was like ocean-sick vomit color. I don't know. 
So, but we earned badges to put on our sashes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, every year we went to a week-long summer camp where we would go to classes, and we had a church service every night because, of course, we did. Um, but it was it was at one of those church services that I witnessed four adult women hold down a fifteen year old a fifteen year old girl, and they were laying hands on her and speaking in tongues and praying over her to cast out the spirit of Jezebel. Fifteen year old girl. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's back this up. Define the spirit of Jezebel. Well, I don't know. I guess it's because this girl wore a lot of makeup and had big hair. Uh, she wore tights with crazy patterns on under her uniform skirt. I don't know. Um, my impression was that she was slutty, or they perceived that she was slutty, uh, and so okay. they were trying to cast that demon out of her. Maybe she had a reputation in her church for being easy. I don't know. But for me, you know, being about 11 or 12 years old, it was a pretty scary thing to watch. So I got up and left. <laughs> and that was the first time I actually got up and walked out of a church service. You know, raised in churches, always sat through the services. But I actually got up and left. And I didn't go to another service for the remainder of that camp. And I didn't go back to camp again, period. I was done with the missionettes by that point. Um, well, I can't but, say as I blame you. <laughs> that girl, by the way, was she was in class the very next day. She looked the same, acted the same, seemed completely unaffected by what had happened the night before. I mean, thankfully, but it was really jarring for me on a spiritual level to see that happen and to to not understand what they thought that they were doing. Right. You know? So, let, me, let me ask you this. Am I, am I interrupting? I don't, no, I don't, no, no. I, I don't done. want to interrupt. Now I'm just kind of blathering because I'm just like, I'm remembering. <laughs> Have you ever been exorcised? Me, myself? You, yourself. Surprisingly, no. Really? Yeah. But, you know, once, once I realized that I didn't believe in that in what was being taught in, in my mother and father's church, you know, and, and in the Christian religion by and large, I just didn't go back. So nobody really had much of an opportunity, you know, unless they <laughs> saw me in the mall <laughs> and just tried to, you know, lay hands on me then, and then they probably would have gotten decked. But Cootie ran for the fucking border. I did. I was done, you know. Wow. Good. I'm not saying you know. Good move, as far as I'm concerned. Um, of course I've been exercised. Of course I have. Um, I have been exercised, and I have performed exorcisms. Now let's let me back up. The church I grew up in uh, was the Church of Christ, not the Disciples of Christ. Just straight up Church of Christ, and we did nothing of that sort. Um, the elders would lay their hands on, you know, old people and people with like, I don't know, fucking visible cancer. Um, <clears throat> and they would pray very politely for that person's healing. You know, kind of like, 
oh Lord, if we're not bothering you too much, you know, if you wouldn't mind just gazing our way for a moment. You know, it was very polite. We also didn't touch each other in that church. It just was not allowed. Plus, we sent missionaries to Catholics. <laughs> that's, that's how arrogant we were. Uh-huh. I mean Catholics in the same town. Wow. We not, we were not real well liked. No, we're assholes. <laughs> Straight up. Now, the way that Pentecostal churches look at exorcism, from my experience, is extremely different than how, you know, the Catholics look at it. Exorcism is the first course of action in a Pentecostal church if they think anything is wrong with you. Yep. Do you smoke? You are inhabited by the demon of tobacco. Yep. You drink, and it's the demon of alcohol. And here's one. I swear it's true, because I fucking saw it. Do you drink more than two Coca-Colas a day? <laughs> you are possessed by the spirits of gluttony and carbonation. Oh, no yeah. shit. And that was our pastor, who later got caught stealing money from the church. So, ha <laughs> He had us all distracted from his, distracted from his spirit of embezzlement <laughs> by talking about his Coca-Cola addiction. Oh my. So I've had hands laid on me for healing, casting out the demons of sickness and depression, and I've done the same for others in a church setting. Now, whether it was effective, you know, I can't judge. I'm not going to sit here and say, I was a vessel for the healing power of the living God, when it could just as easily have been know somebody with a psychosomatic problem to begin with or Mm -hmm. maybe the exorcism just provided enough of an adrenaline rush to get that person through until the afternoon and then after that they just fucking faded i don't know yeah or maybe the person was faking it to begin with to get attention Mm -hmm. having a bunch of people put their hands on you i don't care who you are that is undeniably a weird sexual thrill (laughs) <laughs> to have that kind of action be sanctioned by God himself, that is pretty okay. Exercise me, Captain. I am down with that shit. So exorcism, the way that I know it, is a power trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can use it to heal, I suppose, but it's also a way to shame people and punish them in front of the entire church. Can you imagine having a bunch of people haul your ass up in front of everybody in a church, all your friends, all your friends' family, and have them try to cast out the demons of adultery or mm-hmm. pornography. That's embarrassing as hell, man. It happened all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's such a political ploy, or it can be a political ploy, within certain Pentecostal denominations. It's just, you know, I don't see how I, just, I don't see how you can trust it. Yeah. Well, the thing that fascinates me um, most about this movie, particularly over other exorcism films, is the chick that Aaron called in to testify. I, I didn't get her name. I should have looked it up. <clears throat> but she's the one that was an expert on, quote, religious experiences. Um, she studies psych- physiological and psychological impact of religious ritual like the exorcism she believed that the drug that emily was prescribed impeded that experience for emily Um, it actually prohibited her from benefiting from the ritual i think 
the exact quote was, it locked Emily in the possessed state. Right, yeah. Now, demon possession has always terrified and fascinated me. Even now, as an adult, you know, far removed from that religion, I'm torn between being skeptical of the phenomenon being a true paranormal thing and being fascinated by the possibility of it being a self-induced state of of mind that's brought on by extreme fear and guilt that these individuals are indoctrinated with, usually from a very young age. Um, I keep replaying scenes in my head from my own experiences, you know, in the church. I've experienced the ecstasy of the charismatic church services. You know, I've witnessed messages be delivered in tongues and then translated for the congregation. I even watched three men pick someone up out of a wheelchair and then walk him across the church while praying for his healing. All of these things are so extreme and yet so very real to those people who are involved. The fear, the conviction of the and you know the conviction of their righteousness, it's palpable and absolute. And one can't help but wonder at the psychological impact it has on the individuals involved and even those who are watching. And it may be very much a a case of, you know, patient heal thyself. I, I mean, I can I can imagine, you know, with perception being a reality. Mm-hmm. If someone walks up to you and tells you, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed so many times, eventually you're going to start to believe it. And if you believe you're healed, mm-hmm. are you? The eternal question. One of them, anyway. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about the martyrdom of Emily Rose. Uh, we'll ask our three questions, and three then questions. we'll so, let's wind the sucker down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I need a drink. Yes. Not getting the coverage of TV horror from the other podcasts out there? Then look no further than Evil Episodes Podcast, where we'll give you the in-depth coverage of all the best and the worst that the small screen has to offer. Oh my god, you're hearing just about the big screen? Listen to the small screen here on Evil Episodes, Mike, Corey, and Jamie. Man, we're going to make things weird for you and just uh, bring to you everything that you don't hear about that you should be watching on TV. Jamie, give us some examples. Uh, well, how about we talk about new stuff like American Horror Story or The Walking Dead or this this season's Sleepy Hollow. Uh, but then not only that, we dig into old stuff like Tales from the Dark Side and Supernatural. Holy moly. That sounds like a fun fucking podcast to me. You bet your sweet ass it does. And Jamie, where's the only podcast where they can hear about all that stuff? Well, it's evil episodes, of course. That's right, so set your DVR to channel 666 and let Evil Episodes give you the in-depth coverage of the stuff that deserves to be, but isn't talked about elsewhere. Evil Episodes is a podcasting network. Hi, I'm Steven Seagal. That's right, Steven Seagal. And for the past 40 years, in between barbecuing oxen and roasting boar for my insatiable appetite, I never miss an episode of Dr. Action and the Kick-Ass Kid Commentaries. 
Isn't that right, Johnny? Hi, I'm Dr. Action. Hi, and I'm the Kick-Ass Kid. When I'm not watching action films, I'm usually polishing my gun while looking at a back. And when I'm not watching action films, I'm normally outside with a harpoon killing puppies. But usually, you can find us both watching 80s, 90s action films. You could follow us on Twitter, Dr. Action Kickass. You can find us on our main page, which is drActionKickass.blogspot.com. You can also find us on iTunes and TalkShoe. Yes, every week we do a commentary on an 80s and 90s action classic, and where we can, we also provide the film so that you can watch along with it. This podcast explodes. Hey, where's that baby mama at? I gotta tell you somebody. We have returned, and we are winding down this discussion of Scott Derrickson's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And we're about to talk about the ending, which is either the most comforting or the most disturbing part of of this whole movie. Right. Emily had written a letter the morning after the exorcism to Father Moore. She says that in her vision... She heard a voice that was calling out her name, so she wandered outside to apparently the cover of U2's The Joshua Tree, (laughs) surrounded by mist and fog, and she collapses. And while she's on the ground, while she's on the ground, she encounters um, the Blessed Holy Mother of God. Well, she leaves her body on the ground, and she walks a little ways, and there she sees Mary. Right. Who looks just like her. Right. So it's like, the mother of God looks like Emily, and there you go. So anyway, she said, Emily, heaven is not blind to your pain. So Emily's like, well, that's cool. Why do I suffer? Why didn't the demons leave? So Mary, mother of God, says, I'm sorry, Em, but those demons are going to stay where they are. You can come with me in peace, free from bodily form, or you can stay. You will suffer, but through you, many will see that the spirit realm is real. So Emily chooses to stay, and when her reverie is over, she has the sign of stigmata on her palms. So she ends the letter by saying, people say that God is dead, but how can they think that if I show them the devil? Which to me is wonky logic, but that's not, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Um, so Father Moore says that Emily accepted her fate. Um, the prosecuting attorney, Ethan Thomas, says that's bullshit because Moore is just using this case to prove what he already wants to believe. And that Emily, um, was the victim of an archaic and irrational superstition that she was sick, not a saint. Well, we had talked about this and disagreed on, um whether Emily was martyred, um, but, which I absolutely feel like at least the movie wanted us to believe that she was a martyr at that point. You know, Mary appeared to her in the vision, offered to take the suffering away right then and there, and Emily chose to continue her suffering to show the world that God is real. She chose suffering and death over salvation, and then she was marked by the stigmata. I mean, even Father Moore said he believed she would be sainted over the ordeal. 
So it seems totally in line to me with that whole Cathal thinking. You know, God gave Emily an out, or at least God's mother did, and then she chose not to take it. Um, so, yay martyrdom. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Wow, I don't think anybody in history has ever <laughs> uttered the phrase "yay, yay martyrdom." <laughs> I don't know that I would have that in me, <laughs> you know, to choose my own suffering and and pain and agony to somehow enlighten the rest of the world. I don't know that I am a big enough person to do that, but I, it seems futile to me. It really does. She's not a martyr. (laughs) She's not a martyr. She is a poor little girl who made herself sick and then she died. She is no more a martyr to me than pioneers who came down with yellow fever or dysentery. I mean, we get a lot of talk in this movie about being on a righteous path, but I don't think that's exclusive to anyone with a specific belief system. And I don't necessarily think that she was on a righteous path. I think she got sick and she died. You know, now she had that vision where she was talking to Mary. But, fuck, I've had fever dreams where I was fighting off demons who were attacking from outer space. And I was standing on the atmosphere, I was standing on the atmosphere of the Earth with a crossbow shooting at those demons alongside gigantic angels. Now, that doesn't make me Jesus' own Merle Dixon. I mean... (laughs) You're right. Here is... Okay, here's what I think. At the end of the movie... The jury finds Father Moore guilty of negligent homicide. The jury recommends a sentence of time served. Mm -hmm. The judge accepts that recommendation. Thomas Moore, Father Moore, walks free with time served. That mirrors what Christians believe the redemption of Christ to be like. Oh, you're guilty as fuck, and we know it, but... As soon as you reach this point, you've done your time, you are forgiven, you are a free man. And to me, that is the most inspiring part of this whole movie, is how it mirrors that redemption of Christ. Everything else, Hmm. I'm a little shaky on. Excellent insight. That did not even occur to me. You know, and at the end of it, when they go to Emily's grave and they look at her tombstone, and she has the um, the inscription on there from from scripture: "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Fear and uh, trembling. How's that for perspective? That's terrifying. Well, too much fucking perspective, if you ask me. But right <laughs> there, it is. All right. Well. Now, as we do for every movie, it's time to ask the three questions. Three questions! So question number one, why should our listeners watch The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Uh, oh, <laughs> am I going first on this? You are. <clears throat> I think you need to watch The Exorcism of Emily Rose probably for a couple of reasons. First of all, since it did kick off the 
exorcism boom of the 21st exorcism movie boom of the 21st century take a look at where it starts and really as far as a director goes you're you are rarely in better hands than you are with scott derrickson he's got a great eye he's mm-hmm. got a, a really good sense for story and having said that I'm, I'm hit or miss with him i mean because you know we saw deliver us from evil and we're less than impressed oh man yeah. however we fucking bought sinister on blu-ray because we were like yeah. fuck that was amazing <laughs> sinister's amazing yeah <laughs> so you know the, the guy knows how to tell a story he knows how to make a movie mm-hmm. um and this one is with it being in a courtroom setting which really makes it the longest version, the longest episode of Law and Order ever. Right. <laughs> you expect, and potentially the best. <laughs> and potentially the best. Yeah, you, you expect a little bam, bam, little gavel noise, <laughs> but it's a fascinating concept on a archetype that we have seen literally dozens of times by now. Mm-hmm. So it's probably one of the most interesting takes on an exorcism story that I've I've ever watched. So for that reason, if nothing else, I would suggest it to our listeners. How about you? I agree. Um, the movie is just incredibly sad, and there are many parts of it that are extremely uncomfortable. It explores something that every other exorcism film that I've seen has either ignored completely or just barely touched on, and that's the human story behind the horror. Um, The people, you know, and all their frailty, all their doubts, and the wavering of their convictions that they otherwise so desperately cling to. So if you, like me, are intrigued by the psychology behind religion... Um, you should watch this movie, if nothing else, than for the fact that it raises more questions than it actually answers. Also, one hell of a performance by Laura Lenny. Yeah. She is really, really good in this movie. Yeah, she is. She carried it, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. She's yeah. really good. <clears throat> All right, so out of six, how many devil horns high would you give The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Well, as far as a devil movie goes, I would give this one two horns high. Okay. Um, but for a spiritual movie, I would give it four. Wow. All right, then. Which is funny, because I'm going to go straight up three horns high. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of the road. Well done. Yeah. And, and that's just because of the reasons that I've talked about before, um, which lead into the next question. It's just... it's. It's such a weird hybrid between courtroom drama and, you know, devil movie. It's so hard to categorize it. Yeah. So what do you think? Is it really a devil movie? Um, no. Yeah? It's not a, this is not a devil movie, but it is a movie in which the devil has a major part. I think more than anything... This is a faith movie, but not a faith movie where, you know, it's not a fucking Kirk Cameron production or anything like that. It's a faith movie, and it's okay. It doesn't really matter where your faith is as long as you have faith mm-hmm. in something. Yeah, they believe, took 
believe in something outside yourself, whether or not it involves, you know, the guy in a red suit with a tail and a pitchfork, <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily important, but you've got to have faith in something outside yourself or else you're just kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, they took a story about spirituality and faith and religion and then tried to turn it into a devil movie by adding special effects, tragic deaths, and, and you know, spooks around every corner. But um, I don't and, think that necessarily makes it a devil movie. Right, and like I said, those were easily the weakest parts of the movie. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. What, everything happens at 3 a.m., and, and Father Moore comes up with some kind of fucked up explanation of course it's at 3 a.m because three times two is six or <laughs> and three is the hour that jesus died so the demons like to pervert that and do it at 3 a.m instead of 3 p.m there's no fucking way you know what time <laughs> jesus died there's no way you could possibly know that so right. whatever <laughs> <laughs> all right so, anyway have had yeah. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for Emily Rose. May she rest in peace. Um, let's take care of a few housekeeping issues before the power of Christ compels you to stop listening entirely. That's right. October is just around the corner. And to celebrate, Kiss the Goat is doing something very special. We are devoting the entire month to movies about witches. They're in league with Satan and they cavort with evil spirits or uh, some shit like that. I don't know. So anyway... <laughs> You'll get a month full of witch movies from us. Not only that, but we'll be dropping a new episode every week for the entire month of October. It's Kiss the Goat's Season of the Witch. How <laughs> blessed fucking be. So we've got that to look forward to, which is nice. Hey, if you're on Facebook, fuck, we are too. You should totally join the Kiss the Goat page, which is at facebook.com slash groups slash kiss the goat. One of us is usually hanging around somewhere, and we'd be happy to talk with you about the show, devil movies, or whatever floats your boat. You can also send us your comments, suggestions, and questions to our email address, which is thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. Also, check out our new website. There's pictures of us, comments from the Acolytes, and it's the only place where you can buy Kiss the Goat apparel. Mm -hmm. That's right. T-shirts, hoodies, even onesies for your personal demon baby. That's at kissthegoat.weebly.com. Also, we could sure use some reviews over at iTunes. Good ones, five-star ones, ones we can send to our parents in a self-defeating attempt to finally gain their approval after so many years. Just do a search for Kiss the Goat under the podcast category of iTunes Store and commence to write Finally, thanks to the Horophilia Network for hosting the show, and thanks to you, our loyal acolytes, for listening as we work out our own podcast with fear and trembling. That's it for this one. Remember, the next show starts the season of The Witch here on Kiss the Goat, a month full of witch movies. It's going to be a great time. Until then, I'm Cootie. And I'm X. Hell, Hell Satan! Satan.
Coming up, theology, psychology, and the strange shadowed faces of hope. We're getting deep on an uncharacteristically... Fuck! (laughs) And then what? (laughs) That's a hard word. I was just thinking about that. I was like, wow, he picked a tongue twister to start this one off with. It it reads great. It does. It's very, very impressive on paper. All right, let's let's try it again. Okay. To do unusually. 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 Murder. (laughs) Murder, murder, murder. (laughs) Okay. Five, four, three. Coming up, theology, psychology and the strange shadowed faces of hope. We're getting deep on an uncharacteristic... Uncharacter. 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 Hey, man. <laughs> Take three. That's uncharacteristics of these. <laughs> Take three. Der- der- der. <laughs> Five, four, three. <laughs> Coming up. Theology, psychology, and the strange shadowed faces of hope. We're getting deep on the non-character... Okay, I'm changing the fucking word. Yeah. Damn it! (laughs) Uncharacteristically. Oh, yeah, you can say it. I wouldn't be able to if we were recording. Yeah, if it was your See? turn. I can't even say recording. <laughs> Alright. Alright, fine. Fuck it. Five, four, three.